Hello, and welcome to Children of the 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies from the 1980s. I'm Jamie. And I'm Liana. And we're here today to talk about Say Anything, the 1989 romantic comedy directed by Cameron Crowe and starring John Cusick and Ione Skye. Yeah, Say Anything. This is such a lovely movie. It's, it's a beautiful movie. So do you have a memory of seeing this in so, the theatres? I'm pretty sure I did see this in the theatres. I, I think I must have because I saw it at about the right age. So I would have been, I don't know, 15 or 16. And if, I'd, if I hadn't seen it in theatres, I probably would have seen it many years later, you know, because things weren't available straight after that. You had to wait for them to come out in video and then it was hit and miss whether you saw it. So I'm pretty sure I saw it in theatres when it first came out. I don't have a memory of having seen it, but it certainly feels like it's kind of always been in my subconscious mind. And John Cusack, for me... There's a scene in Friends, obviously not from the 80s, but from the 90s, where Ross and Rachel are having a conversation about who would be on their top five celebrity crush list. So Mm, this is the list you can have if you happen to meet those celebrity crushes. I think it's your your free pass list. Your free pass list, exactly. And I struggled with that concept. So somebody at that time when we were watching Friends asked me, you know, who was on that list for me. And I really struggled to come up with anyone because I always thought, well, if you didn't know them, you know, why would you be into them that's not really my thing but the one I could come up with was John Cusack he's so dreamy well you know I mean this is the interesting thing about this film this is one of the few films and we will review a lot of rom-coms from the 80s where this is just a nice guy doing the right thing like there are so many other examples of dudes being forceful like overly forceful and this is just It's actually about teens forging a really genuine relationship as they are becoming a little bit disconnected from their parents. Mm. Sort of independent of adults. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, well, I will talk a little bit more about that. But I just, as we rewatched it, I just realized, like, he is, he's incredibly mature. So every time you read a description of the movie, they talk about chronic underachiever Lloyd Mm. Doppler, who's the character that John Cusack is playing. Kickboxing, sport of the future. Kickboxing, sport of the future. I'm going to be doing this the whole time. Well, there are so many great quotes, so there will be lots of quotes. Do you want to just kind of give us the broad lay of the land for people who haven't seen this for a long time and can't remember exactly what happened? Well, it's funny. So I saw it relatively recently, and it's still hard to remember what happened. It's not a really plot-driven movie, I would say, but the basic story is you've got Lloyd Doppler, who's your average high school student, He's got a crush on Diane Court, who's the beautiful, brilliant valedictorian, and he asks her out. That's kind of what starts the movie, and they've just graduated from high school, and so they have a summer before she's going to go overseas to do her fellowship in the UK. And so they get together, they fall in love, then they break up, and then they get back together. That's most of the movies, that simple sort of together, not together, and then and then getting back together. There's a subplot involving Diane's father, Jim, who turns out, we find out at the end, has been embezzling money from his nursing home patients. And there are a few other little character arcs in there, but it's really just the story of Lloyd and Diane. So it's really interesting that when you describe it, that's the description you give, because originally, so it feels like a really personal film, and obviously it is a really personal film, but... Cameron Crowe, who directed the film, also wrote the film, and he was actually hired to write the film. And the kind of nugget of an idea that he was given was an idea that somebody finds out that their father has been embezzling. So oh, originally, right. this, the that idea... That was the movie to start. That's right. Didn't even have Lloyd in it at all. There was no kickboxing. No kickboxing. And it took four years for him to write this film. And he put, you know, put him in and kind of put that, obviously put his 
self, you, you would assume, yes. into the film. I mean, I thought one of the things that was really interesting about this film is so many high school or films around that age are set. You know, it's like the scene where somebody's running to the airport and if they don't yes. meet them at the airport, they'll never see them again. I yes. mean, even in the because days before cell phones, yeah. you know, like the idea that you, you have one chance to connect with somebody and, you know, it never happens again. So, so many films almost have this sense of this arc, like if you don't do it by the end of prom in an American film, it'll yeah. never happen. Yeah, exactly. And what right. is really nice about we this We only too, have one night. Yeah. yeah, what about this? What's nice about this is he's had a crush on her for a long time and he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he's also, is in, I'm going to ask her out. Yeah. And everybody around him is telling him, dude, she's way out of your league. She's the class valedictorian. Trapped in the body of a game show hostess. That yes, was, uh, yes. This is often the quote. Oh, that's his. That's no, that's, that's a quote from the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. There's so many good yeah. lines. So you raise a really good point about there's no race to the airport. There's no, this is our one night. There are a lot of things that aren't in this movie for a romantic comedy that I quite liked not having. So there's no meet cute. Yeah, they've known each other for a while. There's no terrible first date. There's no, and there's, aside from the fact that she's going overseas eventually, there is no race to the airport at the end. It feels like a much more real relationship as a result. Totally, totally. A very real relationship. And there's one sex scene, which again is poignant and lovely yes she says to him are you shaking he says no she says you're shaking i don't think so you're cold i don't think i am then why are you shaking i don't know i think i'm happy like it's yeah. just it's just lovely yeah. the song that later comes back in the very famous boombox scene is the song yes. that's playing peter gabriel i mean it's not the most romantic setting it's all happening in the back seat of his car but it's very tender very yeah. tender and you get the feeling it's the first time for both, Both of, of them, them, you think? Yeah, I think so. And it's just patient and kind and genuine affection. Mm. And that's what makes him actually such a great character. And again, there's another fantastic line. So one of the other interesting things about him is his friendship group. They're all totally yes. gorgeous women. One of his best friends, DC, says, Lloyd, why do you have to be like this? And he says, you know, because I'm a guy, I've got pride. And his other friend, Corey, says, you're not a guy. So there's this sort of theme, you know, you're not a real guy because you're not a jerk. And Lloyd says, no, I am. And Corey says, no, the world is full of guys. Be a man. Oh, such a good line. It's a beautiful line. And when he is being a man, again, what's great about this is he's being a man because he's being genuinely courageous because he goes and tells her how he feels, even in the face of potential rejection, Mm. which is the truth. That is the most courageous thing you can do. And then sit with that rejection. And and so he is, what is incredible about him is he's a super courageous guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how many people actually just go up and ask somebody out? Ring, call them up. Remember the days when you had to actually pick up the phone and then it was always a parent who answered and you had to say, hello, you know, Mr. So-and-so, can I please speak to so-and-so? Like, that took guts. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, hats yeah. off to all the people who did it and... Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think we're, sometimes, we're both having, yeah. sometimes you didn't always say yes, and then sometimes you were the other person on the... It was a messy time. I feel like we're both having like time. personal moments <laughs> yeah, back. That's, yeah, that's the right. Late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, when's, this part, when's the part of this podcast where we just get to say all our favorite quotes in the movie? Well, that, I think you can now? start right now. Go. Right, okay. 
Uh, I don't want to buy anything, sell anything, or process anything. Buy anything that's been processed or sold. I won't say the whole thing, but uh, that's a great quote. So I want to point out here that Jamie is quoting that, as all of these quotes are from memory. Not all of my quotes have been from memory, but that's a line that Jamie's been quoting for many, many, many years. Which is weird because I do buy and sell and process things these days. Yeah. Did you relate? Did that sync with your career aspirations at the time? We've also talked about the fact that you're an Alex What's-A-Face fam from Family Ties, so... Oh, uh, no, not, not... He was no, into no, buying no. and selling. <laughs> no, no, not, not not really. I was not an Alex P. Keaton. He was not my, my role model. It's a hard question to answer because I never really... To this day, I don't really know what he meant by processing things. Maybe I want to process Like things. a factory, you know? Yeah, does he mean like processed meat? Like, what's he processing? <laughs> well, I think he, like, you know, takes the sugar and the water and turns it into soft drinks. Right. Yeah. Right. So cooking. <laughs> yeah. I like cooking. <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. My whole life has been a lie. <laughs> so, yes, there's some fantastic... Any, any other lines you want to throw on us now? Well, I've already snuck a couple other ones in. So kickboxing, sport of the future. Yes, um, beautiful is, line. Yeah, is absolutely one of my favorites. I, and I want to talk about something about the kickboxing scene. So there is a kickboxing scene. Yes. And he talks about kickboxing a lot and you see him practicing and you see yep. him practicing. Like he's got a, Again, he's got a lovely relationship with his nephew who lives with him, his yeah, yeah. sister who's a single mum lives with him and there's no sort of obvious parents on the scene and he's teaching his little nephew to kickbox. But the scene where they film the kickboxing, so him actually competing. Yeah, when Diane Court comes back in, he's yes, training. Yes, he's training. <laughs> yeah. That was filmed in the same dojo from the Karate Kid. No. Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Oh. Yes. I feel, I feel like all the planets have just come into perfect alignment and like a beam of light is shining onto me or something. That's amazing. Well, to loop back to one of our other podcasts, the other person who was going to direct this film, he was kind of circling like a shark around this, was our friend Lawrence Kasdan, oh, who right. wrote The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark and directed The Big Chill, which we'll get to, and Body Heat. But he, he said to Crow, you are this main character and you should direct it. <laughs> huh. So. Cameron Crow didn't do a whole lot of, I mean, he did, he did a few other things, but uh, I mean, this is probably the high point or close to the high point of his career. Interestingly, one of the other movies he directed, uh, wrote and directed was Jerry Maguire, which is another film which is not that great, but is unbelievably quotable as well. Well, so that's true. Just, and yeah. he had done Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which oh, was like true. really big at the time. And yeah. there are a few other bits and pieces, but... Yeah. Almost yeah. famous uh, Vanilla Sky. Yeah, they're both, you know, yeah. they're films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are films. Almost Famous was extremely no, almost, well. Almost Famous yeah. is, a great, is a great movie. Yeah. Vanilla Sky. Yeah. So we can talk about John Cusack more. We probably, we probably will. But it breaks my heart that Ione Sky didn't really go on to do much after this. Because I thought she was really good as Diane. She was good as Diane. Again, bringing back the kind of loopback connections, the other person who was considered for that role was Elizabeth Shue. Oh. Elizabeth Shue played the girlfriend in Karate Kid. Yes, of course. So she had been a potential shortlist and for that role. And she would have been in the dojo. It just, like, my mind is just, just exploding right now. And you know how I talked about good-looking girlfriends? Like, it, not girlfriends, but his friends who are girls? Yes, yep. So DC, who's yep. the striking redhead, was going to be played by Julia Roberts. That would have been a great, great choice. Mm. So there you go. Could you talk about John Cusack for a bit? Of course. So, so this film came out in 89. So John Cusack, obviously huge, did a million things, which are all we can remember. This film came out in 89. And when you look at his filmography, he actually, I mean, he was busy the whole time, but 
the movies you can remember with John Cusack are mostly 97 to 03. Like he had this incredibly focused six-year period where most of the things that you think of, Gross Point Blank was in 97 and that kicked off this period. So this movie was actually very early in John Cusack's career. But I think of Gross Point Blank as a kind of, you know, he was already well known at that point. Yeah, so, like, when I yeah. saw Gross Point Blank, I wasn't thinking, who's this guy? No, 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 I agree with that. But you're right, he was sort of more burbling around in the background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was very busy. Like, if he hadn't had that resurgence with Gross Point Blank, and then in the next few years he did a Thin Red Line, Pushing Tin, High Fidelity, something that I can't He was read so good at High Fidelity, yeah. that was such a... But if he hadn't had that second wind, this would have been... It would have been a little bit of an Ioni Sky story. Like, this would have been the peak of his career, I would say, and kind of uh, down after that. So there was some other interesting kind of cameos. Actually, there's a long list of cameos, none of whom meant a lot to me, but the ones that stood out for me. So we've already talked about Joan Cusack playing his sister. Interestingly, Joan Cusack was uncredited in the film. She did it as a favour. She had just been nominated for an Oscar in another film. Oh, right. And another interesting cameo was Dan Castellanata. I'm not sure if it's the Spanish pronunciation or Castellanata, but does that... Oh, name right. Bell yes, you? yes, that name does ring a bell. The voice of Homer Simpson. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So he was somewhere there in the background. Yep, doing his thing. He didn't doesn't sound the same. I'm trying to listen to the movie now, listening out for Homer Simpson's voice, and I can't quite find it Well, anywhere. that's what makes a great voice actor. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough, too. Yeah, that's exciting. So, and other actors who are kind of in consideration mm. for different roles. So Robert Downey Jr. was considered for the role of Lloyd Dobler. Oh, yeah, okay. Jennifer Connelly came very close to being Diane, which makes me feel really old because I think of her as kind of a more recent actress. Yeah, 1989, I thought she would have been five or something. Well, so the actress Ione, who played Diane, was 17 when the movie was made, which you can really see, I think. Yeah, I think it's much easier to have a teenager play a teenager than someone who's 10 years past that yeah and how, how old was john cusack he was 23 i believe okay so yeah. a kind of a little bit more confident but one of the things apparently that both crow and john cusack talk about because you can imagine this is the film that fans go nuts over this film they, they're yes. always being asked to kind of talk about it and there was a 25th reunion recently so the, one of the things that they both talk about was the role of the editor so the mm. speech that you were quoting about nothing bought solar yes. process, the that was apparently much longer, eight pages of text originally. <laughs> and the editor t- like really tightly edited it. But what he did was he kept the mistakes. So part of the reason that oh, John Cusack was clever. making mistakes was because it had just been finished two days yeah. before or something. And so he was stumbling over it. But they kept that stumble because it had the sense of, you know, I'm thinking of this as I speak. Yes. And it's a very authentic feeling speech. Every time Lloyd talks to an adult and makes a fool of himself, it feels very real. Very real. He's so sincere, yes. right? He's so yes. sincere. So can I leave? Can I give you one, one more quote? One more the quote. The more, the better. Maybe I didn't really know you. Maybe you were just a mirage. Maybe the world is full of food and sex and spectacle and we're all just hurtling towards an apocalypse, in which case it's not your fault. I've been thinking about all these things and you're probably standing there monitoring. And one more thing about the letter, nuke it, flame it, destroy it. It hurts me to know it's out there. He leaves that as a voicemail, right? voicemail. And it's like voicemail number, voicemail number seven because yeah. he's been, he, he's not hounding her. But DC, his, his friend says to him at one point, you know, why don't you just call her again? He says, mm. I draw the line at seven unreturned calls. <laughs> Ah, oh, it's a it's a great movie. Now, any weaknesses, anything that surprised you watching it this time around? No, I think one of the things... So one of the 
one of the critics, the New York Times critic, was a bit harsh about it, said that it's a first-rate production of a children's story and criticised it because they felt that the sense of parents in the summer after high school is myopic, presented totally from the teenager's point of view, and there's kind of nothing for adults. And, you know, well, yeah. isn't that okay? Isn't it okay yeah. to have watching a it as an adult about teenagers well, from the point of view of teenagers? Well, and watching it as an adult, I still remember what it's like to be a teenager and feel that sense of sort of confusion and logging and excitement all at once. So that doesn't bother me. No, that's totally right. And, I mean, the, the dad is a complex character, but he's clearly made out to be a bad guy. Yeah. A bad guy with good intentions for his daughter. He's embezzling. He goes to jail for the embezzlement when, you know, he's lied about it to her initially. When she confronts him, he says, I did it for you to give you enough money to have flexibility and freedom. But he's raised her himself and they've got a very loving and supportive relationship. She's been very academically successful. She's got all these kind of opportunities as a result of that effort and energy that he's put in. But, you know, he's clearly a bad guy. And one of the things I don't think I saw the first time round is his despair. So there's a very good scene when the dad's starting to get an inkling that the walls are closing yeah. in on him and he's sitting in the bath crying with the door shut. Yes. And you yes. just think, yeah, there this guy is. And he's justified it to himself because his justification to Diane is, I have taken better care of these people in the age care facility than their than their family has you know the family's never come and visited them I have and if some of their money goes to me instead of to the families well kind of yeah isn't that okay because I, I love these people and I care for these people mm. so he's justified it to himself but then you can just see that sense of terror as the world is crumbling in and how will he cope with it and the other thing which I didn't remember was at the end John Cusack goes back and visits the father in jail. Yes. And, and, and that's when he finds his voice. So he goes from being this nervous, stumbling kid to being much more confident and, and, and assertive with him. Yes, he does. I guess I hadn't picked that up as much because I actually think he's, he's stumbling and nervous, but he still strikes me as being pretty assertive mm. in the rest of the film. Like okay, in a way that I, you know, I was not nearly so articulate, actually, at that age with somebody I was interested yep. in. I was much more nervous or reluctant to bring it up. But what I thought was beautiful is that he becomes the bridge back to Diane. Mm. And then the other thing I'd forgotten, so when Diane breaks up with him in the middle... (laughs) She gives him a pen. She gives him a pen, which is on her father's advice, because the father's pushing him to break up with her because, you know, he looks at Lloyd Doppler, the guy's a kickboxer, and he says, what do you want to do with your life? And he sort of says, nothing. The only thing I want to do is look after your daughter because that's the one thing I'm really good at, which as a parent is not super promising. Yeah in terms of a lifetime of financial security and <laughs> all of those things. So he says, you know, he give him this pen. It's a really great gift. And yeah. she, you know, really awkwardly gives him this pen and he's devastated. You know, I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. Great line. But then at the end, Lloyd Doppler gives him the pen back and says, write to her because she shut him out. Yeah. And so Lloyd Doppler kind of builds the bridge back, which you don't realise, like, he's not just a good guy to Diane he's a good guy to the dad which is really lovely well and that's one of the great things about this movie is because they're good people it's easy to root for them right yes you you don't feel at all complex hoping for them to get together I mean you don't know what's going to happen after the end of the movie but you think they're young they're good people they're in love it's going to work out yes absolutely now let's talk about the really iconic boombox scene ah great scene is this a scene that you've ever recreated (laughs) (laughs) I will say 
you, occasionally at this day, I, you will still see a life-size cardboard cutout of Lloyd Dobler in somebody's window. I noticed you didn't answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I've not recorded the scene. I don't know where I'd get a boombox. Well, actually, so this is an interesting quote from John Cusack. He says it's getting harder and harder to recreate the scene. It's harder to get the... The trench coats. Trench coats, but it's also harder to get the boomboxes. Oh, so for the oh. 25th anniversary, I only skies there surrounded by all these cast and crew with the boomboxes and they had to look really hard to They're holding up get iPods. the boombox. Yeah. So my memory of the scene was that he did that and then she came out. Mm. You know, she was she was drawn out by this. But mm. when you watch it again, she's just lying there listening to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just zoom in on him and that's the whole scene, isn't it? Yes. And so there's some interesting discussion about how they both felt about that scene in mm. retrospect. So John Cusack was really concerned that he was going to be typecast as a rom-com guy. Right. And he was particularly worried about this scene. He just thought it could be a really cheesy scene and he was concerned about it. So he was feeling a bit uncomfortable about the scene, according to him and others. You can see that defiance in him where he's like, well, if you're going to make me do this scene, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to do it. Play it tough. I'm going to play it tough, right? And that's actually the beauty of it. Like he's really, yeah. he's really there saying, I don't care. Yeah. Actually, like, I want you to know this. this I'm right about this. You know, we're, we're good together and you should listen to this. And she's in the room. She doesn't even come to the window. She doesn't even roll over to it's look in that general direction. It. Well, and she talks about the scene saying, I just felt really uncomfortable about the whole thing. I was uncomfortable in what I was wearing. And I just felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And, you know, mm. and that also shows up yeah. in a way because it's not clear how she feels about it. She's convinced herself that the right thing to do is to break up with him and then his persistence, she's realising she's not really over him and that's uncomfortable too because it's not neat. But I do feel bad saying this. So in a real-life situation, if this happened, right, if you'd broken up with somebody and they came to your house and played loud music outside your house... That would be very uncomfortable, right? It's, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a pleasant thing. Well, that's right. But I think that is what happened. Like, it's not, it's not the case that she runs out and says, you yeah. know. So there's a sort of a Romeo and Juliet feeling about it, right? Because he's down and she's yeah. up there. But it's not that she runs to the window. So all he's doing is planting the seed. And it's not that that yeah, yeah, yeah. wins her back. It's, you know, all of the kind of other stuff and her thinking about it. Even though I saw this movie recently, I can't really remember why they break up or how they get back together, right? It all just sort of disappears. Yes, it all sort of blends in, doesn't yeah, yeah. it? Now, I have to tell you, something that is going to potentially ruin that scene for you forever so romantic music lots of searching for the music lots of soul searching about what it would be and ultimately peter gabriel's song Mm -hmm. in your eyes Mm -hmm. but the song that john cusack was playing when he recorded it was (laughs) now i'm really worried (laughs) he was he was actually playing bonin in the backyard (laughs) By one of his favourite bands, Fishbone. <laughs> Whoever forget Fishbone. It sounds romantic, I have yeah, to say. Yeah. Bonin in the ba- in the backyard. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, sorry. No, Bonin in the boneyard. Oh, that's that's way better. Even better. Yeah. So the other song that stood out for me on the soundtrack was "The Cult of Personality" by Living Color. Yeah. And that's a little bit because I had a friend when I was sixteen who decided that I was the musical one. And he would make me listen to video by Living Colour talking about how they made music. 
and I was musical in the sense that I played classical piano. <laughs> I never felt fully up to the task of interpreting the, really the bass lines like, on yeah. the Living Colour soundtrack, but that was... So yeah. I feel like I, yeah. I have a connection to that song. I certainly have listened to it many times. <laughs> and how did the film do? Did it do well? No, it didn't do very well at the box office. What? It pulled in $20 million, and I think 733000 from international sales. Ooh. Yeah. Didn't play big in China back in 89. I guess yeah. not, but it certainly has lived on. I'm imagining that video sales and the like were big, although I don't have figures for those. A lot of VHS. Yeah, a lot of VHS and, you know, a bit of Netflix. Well, we've, we just saw it, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's still got a life out there in a way that a lot of 80s movies don't. It does. Oh, one closing thing. When John Cusack talks about this film and people obviously talk to him about Lloyd Dobler, he says that Lloyd Dobler was a better person than he could ever be. He's the kind of person he aspires to be. Which is a nice thing for that a character, isn't it? a nice thing to it? say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, two thumbs up from me. Two thumbs up for from say me anything. Too. Yeah, great movie. We're going to have to review some bad movies on this podcast. Oh, don't worry. We've got Rocky Three on the <laughs> oh, back burner. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, well... Uh, and with that enticing morsel for our next one, uh, that's it for this episode of Children of the Age. We'll see you next time. The grand facade, so soon.